Hey, this is Rich. We are so glad that you joined us today on the VU Church podcast. Now, if you haven't heard, we just released our first full-length live worship album entitled I Need Revival. I encourage you to add or download it right to your library, as I'm sure it will bless you. It's album release weekend, and today we're talking through what it means to need a revival. As we dive into 2 Samuel, we realize that in Jesus, we have been given grace. God is ready to meet us right where we are. Let's lean into today's message. I've titled it, I Won't Make It. Here's today's sermon. Find your seat, reach for your Bible, reach for your Bible. If you're online right now, why don't you go ahead and reach for your Bible as well. Turn with me to the Old Testament. I've been preaching for six months out of the New Testament, and this is the first Sunday that we get to um, be outside of the Gospel of Mark, and so I said, I'm taking it way back. I'm going to the Old Testament. And uh, turn me to 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where I want you to turn, 2 Samuel chapter 9. As you're turning there, uh, I just want to continue to say thank you. Today, Growth Track is happening uh, in our church, and uh, if you're here in person, you can go. That happens today right at... Uh, 1230 and uh, 12 p.m. Thank you, Adrian, right at 12 p.m. Also online, you can go to that. But our church um, is staff-led, but it's servant-leader run. It's always been the heart of our church, just servant leaders all over the place serving to make this place possible. I want to shout out a couple servant leaders. Uh, This is from the I Love My City team. Uh, She helps oversee our prayer team and works as a full-time teacher with children with special needs. Not only does she serve on Sunday, but she also finds time to serve during the midweek, constantly looking for ways to make things better, is what her leader said about her. Can we make some noise for Gabby Real, who serves here at Voo Church? Can I shout somebody out from the kids' team? Come on, right now in the chat, this is really good. He serves faithfully week in and week out. Each week, he works diligently to make sure that the Legends and Voo Kids production is excellent. He is passionate about raising up the next generation of leaders to be in love with Jesus. Can we make some noise for Jesus Fernandez? AKA Jesus Fernandez. How about one more from our crew space? How many of you enjoyed small group this past week? Anyone love your Voo crew out there? I want to shout out one of our crew coaches. She just started serving as a crew coach. This is somebody who oversees crew leaders. Doesn't just oversee a crew, but now it takes time to help oversee crew leaders. She just started serving as a crew coach this season and she is so committed to the crews that she helps lead. She is kind and patient. She also serves on our host team. Wow, double whammy. And is an all around amazing leader. Can we make some noise for Sarah Raponic? I believe that's how you say the last name. Come on, make some noise for all of our servant leaders. Just grateful, just we understand that we can't do this without people serving and being part of it. And so, man, why not check out the growth track today? Go, uh, step two is happening. Step two is happening, 12 p.m. online or right here. Second uh, Samuel chapter one, nine, um, it's, it's just sort of a, a fun season here at church as we're stepping into the summer and um, been in a six month collection on the gospel of Mark and excited to take some time to uh, just preach some different things that the Lord's been stirring in my heart. And uh, this is a story that is really close to my heart. And maybe you've heard it, maybe you never have, but I promise you, after you leave today, you'll, you'll, you'll never forget it. It's a, it's a special one that's gonna encourage some people. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one. Let me just read all eight verses and then I'm gonna preach it. It says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both of his feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir's son of Emil. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Verse 7, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always, someone say always, you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? There's this song on the new album. It's called, I Need Revival. And most of us who are part of Ooh, we, we know it well. But I like how the song begins because the song begins with these verses that have so resonated in my spirit. The song begins by saying, I won't make it, I won't last. And today, in honor of our record being released, I want to preach a simple message to you, but one that is quite heartfelt, really from my soul, hopefully to your soul. I want to preach from the subject, I won't make it. I won't make it. I won't make it. Would you pray with me all over this room today and online right now? Lord, we ask that you would meet us here today, Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would minister to us. We ask that you would touch the deepest areas of pain. Lord, we ask that today, God, you would bring healing to the room. God, we are believing and we are anticipating for a revival to break out in our church right here at VU. That, Lord, we believe there is a remnant here in South Florida of people, God, that are longing, people that are hungry, people that are thirsty for your presence. We're reminded of the words of Jesus that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. So Lord, meet our needs today. May we discover and see Jesus in a fresh way. May he not just impact our day, but may he change our very lives. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said. All of God's people said. Oh, come on, 10 a.m. and everybody online, can we put our hands together? Can we thank God? I really don't know what you, you've walked in here with today, but I, I believe today that if you walked in here on the verge of, of giving up, if, if you've come in today thinking about quitting, if you are sort of on your last rope, I believe that the Lord wants to speak to you today. I believe the Lord wants to empower you today. I believe the Lord wants to meet your need today. You might have walked in here empty, but does anybody have some faith that people are gonna walk out full of the Spirit, full of His presence? I love the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament, uh, it, it shows us in so many ways the character and the nature of God. All 66 books of the Bible are important that we would, we would read them because they all begin to tell us the story of God. It really is the gospel. And the Old Testament 
it lays a wonderful foundation. And as you study it and as you read it, you begin to look and you look for the traces or the outlines or the shadows of Jesus and his grace. And in 2 Samuel chapter nine, I, I believe that we have one of the most beautiful gospel stories really in all of the Bible. In, in order to kind of give the text some context, let me just back up a little bit and tell you that my favorite Bible character, aside from Jesus, you gotta always say that as a pastor, there's always some like really creepy Christians like, oh, what about Jesus? Luke, did I tell you that somebody wrote me a full like diatribe email yesterday about how the song Logic is theologically incorrect. I forwarded it to you so you can respond to them and tell them how the theology in the song is okay. <laughs> Jesus is my hero. Jesus is my favorite character. But if there's someone that comes after Jesus, it would have to be King David. Uh, King David, uh, there's more written about David in the Bible than any other Bible character. How about this? Not just the Bible, King David, there's more ancient history and writings around him than any other person in ancient history. I mean, there's a whole lot about this man. And there's so many things that I love about him. He is such a complex individual. The scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart. By no means is he a perfect man. In fact, what I love about his story is that we don't just get his wins and accomplishments. We don't just get his strengths. We also get his massive failures and we get his weaknesses. He is not perfect, but come on somebody, he is being perfected. Is that anybody else's story in the room that you, you know you're not perfect, but come on, by God's grace, I'm getting better. And he really is a renaissance man. I mean, he's the giant slayer, but also the harp player. I'm rhyming today. <laughs> he's the shepherd king. He's the warrior poet. I mean, he's dynamic. He, he is really unlike most people that we ever meet. And David, at a very young age, is anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. The first king of Israel is a man by the name of Saul who rebelled and disobeyed God. So God was looking for another and he goes and he finds David who is the seventh son of Jesse. Jesse doesn't even think that David is a candidate. He brings in all of his sons and actually forgets about David. And Samuel's like, do you have any more kids? And he's like, oh yeah, I do have one more son. He's out in the pasture looking after the sheep. He says, bring him in. And when he brings him in, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, that is the next king. Right. How many know that many times who man chooses is not who God chooses? Many times the things that man is attracted to are not the things that God is attracted to. You might feel like you are unfit. You might feel like you are unqualified, but you don't have to look any further than the story of David to be reminded that we serve the God who does not call the qualified, but rather he qualifies the call. David is anointed king right there on the kitchen floor of Jesse's house. But what I love about David is that David is anointed, but the moment that he's anointed doesn't mean that all of a sudden he becomes king. I mean, you can be anointed, but not appointed. You're gonna have to learn this because there's a lot of people in this room that you're anointed, but just because you're anointed, it doesn't mean that you're ready. 
We live in a time period right now that if we've got a gift, a skill, a talent, if we've got a word, if we have a prophecy, we believe it should happen right now. But as you study the story of David, David gets anointed by the prophet, but then he has to go through obstacles. He has to go through pain. He, just like every one of us, has to pay his dues. God has to get him ready. God has to prepare him for what is in front of him. Because David gets anointed, but it's a long time. I'm talking about years and years and years until he is appointed the king. His story is all there in the Old Testament. It's important that we get it today because before we get to 2 Samuel 9, you gotta know what's happened in David's life. David gets anointed on the kitchen floor. Then he goes to the battlefield where there's this guy named Goliath, a 10 foot tall giant. Nobody will fight him. David says, I'll fight him. David doesn't have conventional weapons. Instead, all he has is a slingshot. Dude hasn't even hit puberty yet. He's got an armpit hair. He's like, come on, bring him out. Let's go. Like he's, he's different. Someone say he's different. But literally, he takes down this giant, cuts off the head of the giant. As he comes back into Israel, Saul begins to fall in love with David. Saul was tormented by demons, and the only thing that would bring peace to him, watch this, the only thing that would bring peace to the soul and the mental place of Saul was worship music. And David used to play his harp for Saul. How many can testify that when you turn on some worship music, how many can testify that when we start playing that voo worship, come on somebody, it starts to settle my soul. It starts to bring peace to where I am. David would play his harp. David ended up marrying Saul's daughter, Michael. That's a girl's name, believe it or not. David becomes best friends with Saul's son. His name is Jonathan. In fact, as you study their relationship, they are a beautiful relationship of what a deep, healthy friendship looks like. David begins to fight for Saul and David becomes honestly so strong and powerful and the people would sing, they would say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And before you know it, Saul begins to compare himself to David. How many know comparison kills your contentment? And what started out as a beautiful relationship quickly turned and resentment set in and Saul becomes jealous of what's on David's life and Saul seeks to kill David. David goes from being the golden boy of Israel to a fugitive on the run. And as you read his story, I mean, he was anointed on this kitchen floor. He becomes the hero of Israel and then he becomes the fugitive of Israel. This is all before he's even seen the word of the Lord come to pass in his life. He's running from Saul. He's living in caves. The scripture says he has about 300 men that are with him. This is how they're described. They're described as in debt, discontented, and distressed. That's who he's building his kingdom with. In fact, there's a beautiful story one time where David, he's able to kill Saul because Saul is asleep in the valley below him and he and his men go down and he has his spear above Saul. But David says to his mighty man, he says to Abishai, do not touch the Lord's anointed. I just want you to see who this man was. He chooses not to kill his hater. (laughs) Isn't it funny, the world that we live in today, which is all about, let me prove my haters wrong. Let me get revenge on everybody. Let me tell you what, unless you have a tribe, David had a tribe of thousands of men with swords and spears trying to kill him and he still didn't even seek revenge. You could have called it self-defense, but David said, nope, this is up to God's time to a point when I should take my rightful place. You say, Rich, why are you telling me all this? I'm telling you all of this 
because God was preparing the stage for David to come to power. How many know it's not enough just to have a title of leadership? You have to actually have the heart of the people. And so although David was anointed, it was not his time to be appointed. God was allowing things to take place because he was allowing the stage to be set that all of Israel would not just give them their allegiance with their words, but their very heart would be given over to David. How is your heart given over to someone? The only way that comes about is time must take place. You see, seasons of struggle squeeze out strengths that stories are written about. And before you know it, David was becoming a legend in Israel. Why? Not because of the blessing of a prophet named Samuel, but instead because of the curses of a hateful king named Saul. What I'm trying to get you to see today is as people watch David respond to the adversity, to the pain, to the struggle, and to the suffering, it was melting their hearts, saying, that's the leader that I want to follow. Please hear me today. Opposition is necessary for your vision. Some of us don't get this in the room, but if you're going to actually have a God vision, you will have to face opposition. Someone say, it's necessary. What you're going through right now is necessary. The struggle that you are in is necessary. You can't control what happens to you, but by God's grace, you can control how you respond to what happens to you. I'm telling you what, your struggle is squeezing out strengths that stories come about with. And the Bible says that Saul's house was growing weaker and weaker, but David's house was growing stronger and stronger. Someone say stronger and stronger. I believe today that if you're following Jesus and if you keep your eyes on him, you are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It might not look like it right now. Nobody else might be applauding it right now. Nobody else might be noticing what you're going through. But I believe by the grace of Jesus Christ, you are getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. As our text picks up, we discover that Saul and Jonathan are finally killed in battle. And because David had chose to wait patiently, he didn't just give up and say, oh, I'm anointed, I, I should be in position right now. He said, no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight through the struggles. Now he is crowned king of Israel. Thank God he waited. Thank God he remained faithful when so many around him were, were faithless. And as our text picks up in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's an interesting season because this is the first time in a long time that there has been peace in Israel. That it's very clear that David is king. And in that time period, it was quite customary that when a new household took over power, it was just practical in the day and age that they were living in, that anybody else who was connected to the previous house or the previous lineage of the other household who had power Everybody from that household would be executed. They would be put to death. Primarily for a practical reason, that is they didn't want to get years into the future and all of a sudden somebody would come up from the house of Saul and say, wait a minute, I'm actually the rightful heir to the throne. Let me take over power. And so the custom of that day is that as Saul lost power, anybody who was connected, anybody who had Saul's blood was put to death. That was considered justice at the time. 
David is in power, he is in control, and one day he has this question. I just wanna pick up the text. He says it this way, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse one, he asks a very peculiar question. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? This is a bizarre question. Once again, we are seeing how dynamic and how different David is from every other leader because David does not want to harm his enemy. Instead, he is looking for his enemy in order to bless his enemy. He has this question, is there anybody still remaining? Is there anybody left that I can show kindness to? Watch this, chapter nine, verse two. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. And they called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both of his feet. Well, where is he, they asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Emil in Lodabar. Everyone say Lodabar. So David says, is there anybody from this house? This is very peculiar. This is very odd. This is very different. But is there anybody else who is still alive? I don't want to hurt them. I want to help them. I don't want to curse them. I want to bless them. I don't want to execute them. I want to exonerate them and show them kindness. So there was a servant of Saul. His name was Ziba. And he says to Ziba, Ziba, is there anyone else? And Ziba says, One of Jonathan's sons, Jonathan is the son of Saul. This is Saul's grandson. He says, one of Jonathan's son is still alive. And David says, where is he? He says, well, he's living in a town called Lodabar. Everyone say Lodabar. Lodabar is not just a literal place. Lodabar is also a figurative place that many people, even in this room and watching online today, you are trapped in. You find yourself in Lodabar, by definition, has several different meanings. The first meaning that we know about Lodabar is Lodabar means uh, the place of no bread. Some of you know what it's like to be trapped in a place where you're constantly hungry and you're constantly thirsty, but nothing from this world will satisfy you. Nothing from this life will bring you peace at night. In fact, there's people that have come today that are so desperate, that are so hurting, and all you're looking for is a little bit of peace. All you're looking for is a little bit of purpose. All you're looking for is something to quench the thirst. Doesn't matter how many things you try of this world. Doesn't matter how many different partners you go to bed with. Doesn't matter how many times you take a drink. Doesn't matter how popular you get. Doesn't matter how much money you bring into your bank account. You still feel like you're living in the place of no bread. The irony of the idea is that this guy named Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, is living in Lodabar, the place of no bread. But David is from the town called Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. Can I encourage some people today that in God's house, there is always satisfaction. In God's house, there is always fulfillment. It might not look like it's going good around you, but come on, in his presence, you can find satisfaction for your soul. This is the house of bread. There's more than enough. That's where David's from. It means no bread, but it doesn't just mean no bread. It also means a pastureless place. Lodabar, the the place of no pasture, pastureless, meaning nothing is, nothing is growing. Life in reverse. 
Maybe you've walked in today and this is how you would describe the season you find yourself in is that there's no momentum and nothing seems to be healthy and nothing seems to take root and nothing seems to be flourishing. Maybe your marriage feels like it's pastureless today. Maybe it seems that way with your business today that man, I keep swinging and I keep trying. Maybe your faith feels pastureless today. Nothing is growing. Life in reverse. This is Lodabar, it's the pastureless place. Once again, contrary to David's life, David, he wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Someone say, I don't need nothing if Jesus is my savior. Somebody believe it today. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing in him. And he makes me lie down beside green pastures. Are you trapped in Lodabar today? Are you locked in the pastureless place? Does your life feel like there's no bread? The third definition that we know of Lodabar is the place of no communication. It's one thing to suffer. It's another thing to suffer in silence. There's people even in this room today that you've come in and I know you look nice on the outside, but you are suffering on the inside. Sometimes we go through pain that's so deep and trauma that hurts so hard that we ought not even speak of it. I don't know if you've gone through something before, but the pain is just too bad to even talk about it with somebody. Trauma, it just hurts so bad. I can't even, I can't even speak about it. I can't even say a word about it. Maybe something happened to you when you were younger. Maybe somebody betrayed you. Maybe somebody let you down. Maybe you let yourself down. Maybe it's a mistake from the past. Maybe it's a mistake from last night, but you are silent about it. Why? Because silence is a symptom of shame. And Lodabar is the town of shame. We meet in the story that Jonathan's son, his name is Mephibosheth. Let's try to say that together. We're gonna learn the Bible today. <laughs> Everyone on the count of three, Mephibosheth. Ready? One, two, three. Our church is speaking in tongues, finally. Praise God. <laughs> Mephibosheth, by definition, means shame. The son of shame. Son of shame, trapped in the place of shame. You say, Rich, what's all this shame about? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, in order to understand Mephibosheth's shame, you have to know his story. <laughs> and the story of Mephibosheth is a sad, pitiful, heartbreaking story that many times we at church, we don't ever even learn about it. But Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul. He is the son of Jonathan. I just want you to get it in your mind. He was born to be a king. He's got royalty in his DNA. But what we learn in some chapters earlier in 2 Samuel chapter four, I'm gonna read it to you. 2 Samuel chapter four, one day they hear that Saul and Jonathan have died in battle. And now that they've died in battle, everybody from the house of Saul and everybody from the house of Jonathan, they assume that execution is coming to their life. They assume that they are going to be next. So we'll pick up what the text says. 2 Samuel 4, 4, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about, John, about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Watch this. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled, and his name was Mephibosheth. 
I want you to see this today because we see a man whose name means shame, Mephibosheth, who's living in the no bread, pastureless, no communication place. He is hiding out. He's believing that one day the king will find out where he is. And when he comes, he will be executed. And now Mephibosheth is on the run, but he can't even walk. I just want you to get a glimpse that at five years of age, something happened to him. There's some people in this room that the reason why you're living in Lodabar is not because of something you did, but it's because somebody dropped you on your journey. And his nurse got the word, and when she got the word in her haste and in her hurry, she let the boy go, and the little boy wasn't born crippled, but he became crippled. The little boy wasn't born with an inability to walk, but because somebody dropped him, now his legs won't work. Now he's paralyzed. Now he's running, but as he's running, he can't even walk to where he's going. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but I sense it in my heart and my spirit. Somebody dropped you. Somebody let you down. Somebody hurt you. Somebody, somebody dropped the ball. Someone did something. It's amazing. Here we have a five-year-old problem, but a grown man. I can't tell you how many people I talk to in our community that they are grown up on the outside, but they are still suffering on the inside. Many times we're 37 years of age, but we're still tripping over a problem that happened to us when we were 12 years of age. Many of us have found ourselves rendered in a place where we are unable to move, where we have no strength to speak up, where we are suffering in silence, in the place of shame. And it's all because somebody dropped us on the journey. I don't know who dropped you. I don't know who let you down. I don't know why you're living in Lodabar today. I can imagine that Mephibosheth, this, this little boy who, who's now, as we discover in the text, much older as he's been hiding out as a fugitive, awaiting his day of execution. I'm sure he went through the circles of playing the blame game. You ever find yourself just playing the blame game? I bet he started with himself. Well, maybe it was something I did. Maybe I was, maybe I was struggling. Maybe I, I was running from the nurse. And the reason why I'm crippled today, it's my fault. I did it. Or maybe he started to shift the blame towards the nurse. And that nurse, if she just would have been more patient with me, if she would have been more focused on me, but she let me, maybe he starts blaming his dad. Jonathan, you were never there. You are always at war. You are always trying to serve your dad. I never had a dad of my own. No one ever affirmed me. No one ever encouraged me. Nobody ever spoke words over my life. Maybe he actually got a deeper meaning and said, you know what? It's actually grandfather's fault. It's all Saul's fault. My grandfather Saul, if he would have honored God, I would still be in the rightful place to receive all that God had promised me. I should be king of Israel. Instead, I'm living as a fugitive. Instead, I'm waiting for my day to die. I ought to be where God had destined me to be. But how many know you can blame yourself? You can blame others. You can blame everything and anything, but all roads lead to the same place. It leads to Lodabar. It leads to the place of shame. But come on, can I say it to you the way the Lord spoke it to me? Some of you today, it's time that you get out of Lodabar. God says you're breaking free today. God says you're getting out today. God says you're moving forward today. God says you're getting your voice back today. You're not meant to live in Lodabar. You're called out of that place. But how many of you know you can't get yourself out of Lodabar? The only way you can get out is somebody has to carry you out. 
I don't care how much I will it and I don't care how much I desire it. My legs don't work and I don't have any ability to get myself from this place of shame back into the place of strength. I don't know how to move forward. Can I encourage you that in the same way Mephibosheth felt all alone, can I remind some people today, the king still knows where you are. The king has never lost you for a minute. The king knows where you're located. The king sees you. He's got a plan for you. You can't get yourself out. And that's why the scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 5, so King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. And all week long, I've been thinking to myself, what was Mephibosheth thinking? Came and knocked on his door one day. Years and years have passed. He said, the king is calling for you. And I got to believe as this man was carried to where David was the entire time he was thinking to himself, I won't make it. I won't last. I'm dead. It's over. I've been running. I've been hiding, but he knows where I am. I won't make it. I don't know who's here today. And you're saying, I won't make it. This marriage ain't gonna make it, Rich. My kids aren't gonna make it. I can't handle all these bills. I can't handle all this pressure. I can't handle all this stress. I'm not gonna make it, man. And they they carry Mephibosheth where David is. It's amazing because I don't know if you're picking up on it yet, but this, friends, is a story of the gospel. This is the good news. This is why we gather. And I just, my job is just to help us remind us why we gather. It's not to see one another. It's not to look cool. It's not to gram it. All that stuff's fine, but it's, it's to gather around this message and this news. What is this message? What is this news? This message and this news is I am Mephibosheth. And so are you. That sin has left me in a paralyzed place. And how many know, before we even get into a description about whether or not you sinned, I sinned, how we sinned, how many know, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that our great, 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 named Adam, he sinned and his blood is running through my veins. And like Mephibosheth, his grandfather Saul's blood was running through his veins and therefore it meant execution for him. But Mephibosheth had a father and his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David had a covenant relationship. And David said, I want to show kindness to Jonathan's children. I want to spare Jonathan's children because of my covenant relationship with David. See, Mephibosheth had Saul's blood running through his veins, but he also had Jonathan's blood running through his veins. And today, can I remind you of the gospel that while we were enemies of God, at just the right time, Jesus Christ came and laid his life down. And today, God says, yes, you got Adam's blood in your veins. 
but if you are in Christ Jesus, it also means that you've got Jesus' blood in your veins, and therefore I will spare you my wrath, and I will spare you my punishment, not because of your good deeds, but because of Jesus. Sin left a dirty stain on me, but the blood of Jesus is the great detergent that spares me. And as Mephibosheth is thrown into the presence of David, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of how God treats us. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, son of shame. Mephibosheth replied, your servant. Watch this, verse seven, here we go. Don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? David doesn't give Mephibosheth justice. David gives him grace. And I won't make it unless I get grace. And you won't last unless God gives you grace. And you can't endure unless his grace meets you. And you're too weak unless his strength finds you right where you are. And you're unqualified, but if his grace comes upon you, it doesn't matter what the demons of hell say about you. The very God of Israel declares, I am for you. And if I am for you, who can be against you? I won't make it unless I get grace. And today, grace is here to meet you where you are. It's not a principle, it's a person. And his name is Jesus, and Jesus is the much better David. Much, 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 much better. Grace is, is doing something in your life. See, grace is security. Notice what David says. David says, don't be afraid. I just want to encourage some people. I don't know if it's your first Sunday. Maybe you're watching online right now. I don't know how you got onto this YouTube channel right now. I don't know what somebody else has told you about God, that God is so mad at you, that God can't stand you. It is quite the opposite. God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son named Jesus. And because God sent Jesus, there is no condemnation over your life. Today, if you would simply believe and you could receive, God would say to you, you got nothing to be afraid of. I'm not gonna make it yes you are I won't last yes you will yes you will grace gives me security I don't have to impress you I don't need your approval if you turn your back on me he never will I've got a security it doesn't come from what I've done it comes from what he's done my security is not found in my good behavior. My security is found in a good savior and his name is Jesus. And today, all fear has to go at perfect love. Grace is security. But look what he says. Grace is kind. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Let me preach to our church for a moment in a world that is so polarizing, in a world that is going to extremes on every side, whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left. 
I believe the body of Christ needs to be like Jesus. He had a criminal to his right. He had a criminal to his left. But there in the middle stood Jesus. There in the middle hung Jesus. I'm looking for a church that would say, let me give you a third option. It's called the middle. Let me give you a third option, which is it's because of God's kindness that men come to repentance. It's always been his kindness that's been wooing people to him. Oh, I've messed up, I've made mistakes. I've done things I'm not proud of. Aren't you thankful that there is a God who is waiting for you, who says, I didn't come to hurt you. I came to help you. I have kindness for you. You don't know my sin, Rich. I deal with sin, I, I deal with darkness. There is no sin too big for God's grace. And I came today as, as Ziba. King, the king calls for you. The king's waiting for you. I know I can't get there. I know that's why we come to church because when you can't stand up, there are people to your left and people to your right and people in front of you and people behind you that say, if you can't stand, baby, we will carry you to where he is. It's, it's his kindness. If it's God's kindness that leads men to repentance, something tells me it's the kindness of the church that leads to revival. Our church is kind, especially to the lost. We're not angry at the world. If that's where your heart is today, if that's your motivation, you're probably gonna need to find another community because it will never ever be the voice of this church. We're not gonna judge people who are lost. They're lost. Instead, we will call the church to attention to remind ourselves that there is a broken and lost world, that people are living in Lodabar, but there is a church that gets to herald the goodness, the kindness, the mercy of God, and with it, a revival can be ushered in. Grace is kindness. But grace is also restoration. Look at what he says. He says, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Ooh. I had the right time today. I could preach this to you. I could get you happy with this because somebody dropped you. Somebody let you down. Some of you don't even like who you are, but the reason why you are who you are is because something happened to you. So your whole life, you're going through life and you're trying to explain yourself, but nobody will even take the time to hear your story. And you don't even know why that thing triggers you. You don't even know why you say what you say. You don't even know why you do what you do. It's because somebody dropped you something was taken from you and Mephibosheth was born to be king but his nurse dropped him and his grandfather rebelled and his dad died and now here he is all alone but there is a king who is greater than David who says I will restore to you everything that the devil meant for evil I'm gonna turn it around and I'm gonna use it for good everything that the devil stole from you baby Jesus said I bought it back that you would be restored I'm restoring you I'm restoring your influence I'm restoring your reputation I'm restoring your influence I'm restoring your health I'm restoring your finances I'm restoring your freedom I'm restoring your love for me I'm restoring your confidence I'm restoring your identity I'm restoring your personality I'm restoring your courage he's restoring he's the God of restoration all that you lost in additional seating he's he's bringing it back grace is restoration
But as we close, grace is not simply security, not simply kindness, it's not simply restoration. Grace is sonship. For he says, you will always eat at my table. The table is the picture of family. The table is a picture where everyone sits equal. It's amazing because um, how many know that uh, just because you disagree with somebody in your family doesn't mean that you stop giving them a seat at the table. It's funny, some of you, you got people in your family that are so far from God, that are so living in sin, it has never stopped you from giving them a seat at the table. It's amazing. Some of you, you have people at your table who voted different from you, but somehow you figured out how to get through dinner not talking about politics. Because the table is a picture of family. We receive communion today. It's God treating us like sons and daughters, saying, come and sit at my table. I will prepare, David said, a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Ooh, God is saying that I am establishing a table right here on the earth and every demon and every principality and everything that tries to come and harm you, none of it can touch my table. I won't make it. I won't last. But Mephibosheth was carried to David's table day after day, year after year. And I think the thing that so speaks to my soul about the grace of our God, because I know I won't make it unless I get his grace, but his grace is freely received today. When David's son sat at that table and Mephibosheth was ushered in, they had to carry him in. His legs did not work. But picture it today. Try to imagine it today. If there's a table sitting here on this stage and I'm carried to it, everyone's already sitting, everybody's already waiting. When I come in, everybody can see my shame. Everyone can see my hang-up. Everyone can see my hurt. Everyone can see my trauma. Everyone notices my pain. Everyone sees my failure. Everybody knows I was dropped. But the moment I'm seated at the table, all you can see is from my waist up. And I want to encourage someone today that grace covers every one of your deficiencies. Grace covers every one of your weaknesses. Grace covers every failure. Grace covers every sin. Grace covers everything you've been trying to hide because at the table of God, you sit as a son. You sit as a daughter. You won't make it unless God's grace meets you where you are. But His grace is here. Come on and give Him praise. His grace is here. Would you stand to your feet today? Would you stand to your feet today? You're getting out of Lodabar. Revival's coming to your house today. This is the story of the gospel for a God who was so kind that called us into his presence.
to give us security, to show us kindness, to restore everything the devil stole, to give us sonship. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. If you're online right now, if you're here in person, would you just get your hands in a place to receive? I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am by the grace of God. I can't achieve this thing. I just, I just receive it. I just bask in his love today. And he found me. When I was running, when I was hiding, he found me. He found you. You think you found this church? No, he called you to this church. You think you found the house of bread? No, no, no. He, he has been storing up and he has been waiting for just the right moment that the stage is set. You might have been ready, but others weren't ready. You might have been ready, but it wasn't your appointed time. I just wonder for a moment today, as we kick off all of our services here today, God's doing something in our church. I just wonder if we could let desperation break out in the house. I just wonder today if we could find ourselves broken. I wonder today if we could put ourselves in the position of Mephibosheth because that's who you are. That's who I am. I won't make it. God, I won't last. God, I need you to show up right now. God, meet me where I am, Lord. I, I, I desperately need you. I need you more today than I needed you yesterday. God, I can't live off of yesterday's manna. I need a fresh word. I need a fresh anointing. God, I'm tired, but I'm not done. God, I'm fatigued, but I'm not done. God, I feel like I'm on the brink of quitting. I feel like I'm on the brink of ending, but I'm believing right here in my weakness. I'm believing right here in my shame that God, you can come and meet me today. I won't make it. I won't last. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.